I was chatting to a good friend there last week and we were talking about what kept, um, kept us going, telling others about the Lord Jesus. Uh, what kept, it, kept us wanting to obey his call to make disciples of all nations. And I asked him, why is it that, you know, us, and we were talking about us too, as kind of like relatively you know, mature Christians, being Christians for a while, why is it that we find it difficult after a while to keep on telling people about Jesus? I don't think his answer was complicated. I don't think it was theologically robust. Uh, It was simply a kind of off-the-cuff, heartfelt um, response from a guy who prays I know for his brother every single day who's not a Christian. He simply says something like this. I paraphrase. He says, he's quite an excitable guy. He says, I can't stop. I can't stop telling people about Jesus. I can't stop every time I see my brother telling him how much Jesus loves him. He knows it. But I can't stop telling him. I can't stop praying for my colleagues. And when I get that moment, just over lunch, I've got to tell them something. I can't stop doing it. He says something like this afterwards. He says, I keep going because I know what I'm saved from. And I know what I'm saved for. And likewise, I know that my brother is not saved. Well, I I keep going because I know what my brother is not saved from. And I know what I long for him to be saved for. See, if you're a Christian, what have you been saved from and what have you been saved for? Likewise, if you're not a Christian, it is absolutely fabulous that you're here with us tonight. Uh, You're in the right place. But this will be tough, I guess, because God will speak to you through his word, the Bible, and show you objectively, without conjecture, what you are not at this present time saved from. Uh, With all this finger-pointing right now in the media... We'll see so many comparisons and judgments made between, you know, teenage looters. Uh, as the, uh, the one, per, one tabloid put it this week, uh, didn't they? Said they are evil. Full stop. But thankfully, uh, a few are examining beyond the kind of hoodie-wearing, plasma screen-holding looter, because I think the pot has called the kettle black uh, for a few too many times now. A few are daring, aren't they, to suggest that such rebellion, such Deep-seated kind of moral breakdown is not the preserve of the unemployed council estate dweller. People are daring to suggest that it begins to go a little further to the whole of our society. Now, if you know your Bible, you should not be surprised because God has told us this again and again. Because all of us fall short of his perfect standards. All of us, to varying degrees, deserve his judgment. Now, we long for justice in the courts right now, don't we? And JJ was just telling me, people on Facebook are putting, this is what I've looted. We, we long for justice against those kind of people, however silly they are. And one day God will provide perfect justice for everyone, all of us. Because all of us deserve not to be saved. Without his gracious and loving intervention, our rebellion and our sin, that deep-seated moral breakdown in all of our lives to varying degree, degrees, needs justice applying to it before God. And at that moment of eternal justice, whether we've looted or not, whether we've fiddled our expenses or not, whether we've brought down a global economy or not, at that moment, that last moment in time, one thing will ring true more significantly and seriously than ever before, and there'll be no avoiding it. Have you been saved from something very terrible and awful, saved for something tremendously beautiful? See, I'm going to keep going because I know what I'm saved from and I know what I'm saved for. That is why I'm 
what I'm going to look at uh, tonight. Uh, and in the first week in September as well, when I get back, tonight is what I've been saved from, if you like. And that first week in September is what I've been saved for in just the last verses of the whole Bible in Revelation 22. It's motivation, of course, to keep going. It's comfort to those who know that they have been saved. And it's warning to those who have been and who are ignoring God. And it's the answer to everything that we're seeing around us in our society today. Have you been saved from something awful? Saved from something, saved for something tremendously beautiful? And the question, the answer to that question will be given on Judgment Day. And that's our first point here, at Judgment Day. And that's what we see in verse 11. This is a day in history that will end history. Time will end. But what will that day in history look like? I'll look at um, in verse 11. John's vision is day. It's given by God. It says it will be like, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for him. Perhaps it's difficult for us to take from that language the sense of kind of majesty and awe and and splendor that this day will bring. But the details of this verse tell us something, firstly, about the judge, but also the judgment. So firstly, look, look at the judge. We're not actually told who the judge is here, are we, in verse 11? But God, is it God the Father or God the Son? We know from John, John's Gospel, that God the Son was given that as as a role, if you like. But most likely, John is referring to God the Father here, because that's what he's done previously in the book in chapter 5 and chapter 7. He is the one seated on his white throne, as we see. And like many things in Revelation, a white throne symbolizes something. It's apocalyptic language. White, of course, is the symbol of purity. Historically, of course, that's why the bride wears a white dress. He's pure for her husband, and so on. And the white throne shows that the judge is pure and and righteous, and therefore just. Therefore, as a result, we will get what we deserve at judgment as will the rioters and the looters and everyone else. They'll get exactly what they deserve. No more and no less. For God would no longer be God um, if, if he were to judge more harshly or more generously than we deserve. What else do we learn about the judge? He certainly doesn't make a small entrance, does he? Earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. See, such is the magnitude of God the judge and his character that the planets and solar systems flee from his presence. I mean, when the queen enters the room, I guess there's a sense of that, isn't there? That she, uh, people get out of her way, I would guess. Such is her power and importance as the sovereign. Oh, when God is judged, though, planets get out of his way. There's a judge. He's just... And he's powerful. But what about the judgment itself? Chapter 6 to 9 in John's book of Revelation examine it and describe God's judgment in history. Now here in chapter 20, we have God's judgment on history. Your history, everyone else's history, looters, politicians, every single one of us. It will be just and fair That is the only way that God can be. And there can be no mistrial, confused verdict, or no leniency. We will be judged by the righteous judge. That is justly. 
and there'll be no distractions, and earth and sky will have fled, of course. So no, nothing to get in the way of the judge or distract us in, the, in that judgment. It's not like when you're in office, you know, and you're kind of looking outside and doing the clouds, uh, you know, kind of gazing, or a bit of people watching down below you, in the, you know, on the streets and so on. No, it will just be God and us, face to face. It's like having the blinkers on, you're just there. There's no ability or opportunity for an unfair judgment. And we will be judged. Second point, verses 12 to 14. Everyone will be judged. As young to middle-aged people, I think that kind of includes most of us here. um, We still have much of life ahead of us, don't we? And it's difficult, therefore, for many of us to see that end point. But this time will come. And as we can... Uh, read in the following chapter, we do not know when that time will be, but it will come either when Jesus returns or when we die. Many years ago, when I was on the uh, youth team at, uh, up at the Keswick Convention, which I've just come back from a few weeks ago, um, a few of our youth team went out for a swim. There was about, um, about 10 of us. Uh, if you know Derwent Water, we went out on one of the jetties, dived off the end. There's a little island in the centre. It's only about I don't know, 150 metres away. Uh, most of us were good swimmers, absolutely fine. Uh, we got across uh, to the island. Yeah, hello. Realised it was private property, so I thought, better get off. So I started swimming back. And uh, halfway back, one of the guys, good swimmer, drowned. Just died. Um, you know, we didn't, he didn't plan that. We didn't expect it. He was 20 years old. Uh, those three men ran over by uh, those looters didn't plan their painful deaths this week, did they? See, just because you don't know the time and the place of your end doesn't mean you can ignore it. Be prepared, because everyone will be judged. Uh, It's not something that celebrities can buy themselves out of. We will not be able to make another appointment in the diary to clash with judgment. You won't be able to get your blackberry out and say, sorry, I can't do it today. You will be judged by God. You will, I will Every single one of us in this world will be. Um, you see that in verse 12. Great and small shows that all will face this judgment. Even see, politicians won't be able to spin their way out of this one. It is inevitable. It's inevitable as death itself. John describes seeing the dead in this verse. You see that? Standing before the throne. <clears throat> that is, they're being judged at that point as they stand in judgment. And now the dead is a phrase that can be misconstrued and loads of them are misinterpreted. And it has been on many occasions, but here, as before in Revelation, it means those who have ever lived really and died, they will be there. All the dead will be judged by God. Even those who have rejected and run away from God all of their lives will at this point be facing him, standing before God on his throne at judgment. There will be no getting away from this inevitable moment. And I want to say today, I think that is great comfort I think it's comfort because if, even if we don't see justice done today, for all that has occurred in this last week, one day justice will perfectly be done, which is great comfort. I guess standing before a human judge uh, in a court of law, um, I, I presume that's a scary experience. I've never really experienced that. Um, <clears throat> but they have, what happens there, they have the case presented to them, don't they? The facts and the evidence are given. But despite all the hard work of the police and the forensics and all that kind of stuff and the lawyers and the barristers, the evidence is never, ever complete, is it? 
The judge doesn't know the mind of the criminal. Oh, he can guess in some way and go some way to speculate. But he will never know, truly know everything. But God as judge will know everything. And that is the purpose of the books there in verse 12. See, God will judge according to what is in those books. Um, one of those books. And he knows it all. Every thought, every action, every inclination. It seems there are two groups of books. One contains everything we've kind of thought, said and done. But the theologians like to call that, they just kind of summarise the books there in verse 12. as The book of our deeds, I suppose. Our life, if you like. Our life, not rather the book of life. But you know, the book of deeds, let's call it that, shall we? The other book is the book of life, which has been mentioned before in Revelation. And it seems at judgment these books are opened. They're the case notes, if you like, before the judge. Uh, And now you have to wait for the verdict. For everyone will be judged according to the books. According, that is, to what we have done. You see that? I'll put that little sub-point there. According to what we have done. I I want you to imagine, if you can, put yourself there. Before God, the judge, opening the book of deeds at that inevitable day. Can you imagine how you will feel as, if you like, he reads through and exposes every secret thought Uh, All those actions we've managed to hide from our friends, they will be in that book. All those embarrassing, humiliating details of our lives. Just imagine what today might sound like before a holy and perfect God who is judge. That thought that went through your mind as you became annoyed with, I don't know, husband, wife, friend. That lustful fantasy that you enjoy thinking about person X. Perhaps in the past, that, that drunkenness that you managed to hide, uh, the sex that you think is secret, the laziness that you think is acceptable, well, all that will be exposed in these books at judgment. We will be judged according to what we have done. And this judgment will demonstrate two things. First, it will demonstrate that God is a just God. That is, nothing and no one will miss the judgment, and God is an absolutely perfect judge. Therefore, we will condemn our sin and take pleasure in our good works. It will be a perfect judgment. But secondly, this judgment will also demonstrate who we have been living for. This judgment will expose who is, if you like, the master, the Lord, the king of our lives. Is Jesus Christ Lord? Or is, as it puts here, have we listened to Satan too much and followed his ways? So for many people I know, this judgment, will, I guess, will be of a terrifying time. Because their God-ignoring lives will be exposed, having put themselves first for all of their lives. Having dismissed and ignored and, and maybe even mocked God. Their lives and their deeds will be fairly judged. For they've made themselves king or lord and essentially followed, though they believe they're king of themselves, they've followed Satan and his ways, essentially, spiritually rather than following God. And God will read, and he will read, and he will read, and he will read some more from this book, containing all of our deeds, and then he will pronounce judgment upon the individual. And those who have already died without knowing Jesus as Lord, as it says in verse 13, do you see that? The dead of the sea. The sea is an abyss in the Bible very often. Those who are already being sent to Well, hell, which is Hades there, that's the temporary spiritual um, judgment of God. 
These people will be judged according to what they have done, as we see in verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. It's really sobering, isn't it? And one that should make us fearful, I think, rightly so, for our friends and maybe even for ourselves. For all of us in front of God's judgment, we realize that our lives do not and cannot meet his standards. So God will rightly and justly punish that rebellion, or as the Bible calls it, that sin. But don't forget, there will be two books, won't there, before the judge. Firstly, there's a book of deeds. That, that has been all those things recorded in our lives. But there is also another book, the book of life. Uh, before we are judged, God will look at each book, examine the case history from both books, and then pronounce his judgment. For people who have no personal relationship with God, people who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, that is, he's not their Lord, the director of, his, of their lives. These people will face um, God, the perfect holy judge, on their own merits. And they will suffer as they deserve. We will see the scope of the punishment in the next few verses. For now, I suppose, we just need to realise that on their own, you're on your own before a perfect and holy God. However, for those who have their names written in the book of life, they will be judged according to their inclusion in that book. That is according to their faith relationship with Jesus Christ. For when we as Christians are judged, God will know and see our deeds, but he will also see that we have known and we have loved Jesus. We're in the book of life. Therefore, we know know we will be judged, but not according to what we have done, but rather according to what Jesus has done for us in our place. We will be judged, as I said in the second little point, according to what Christ has done. See, when when we put our faith... In Jesus and what he's achieved on the cross, we become united with him, bound to him by his spirits, a deposit in our hearts, such that at judgment, God in his justice, in seeing our names in the book of life, will therefore see our deeds, see our life through the life of Jesus Christ, the perfect life of Jesus Christ. It seems strange, but that is the joy of what Jesus achieved on the cross. In swapping places with us on the cross, taking the punishment for our sin, Jesus takes on himself the judgment that we deserve, the Hades, the sea, the death that we deserve, and we get counted to us his perfect life. Simply, judgment for those who are Christians will look something like this, and this is apocalyptic language, so you've just got to take it with a pinch of salt and a bit of poetic license, okay? It goes something like this. God will observe the the names of those who have put their trust in Jesus. And he'll see their names in the book of life. And he will look at their names and see beside them. I I guess this is completely my... my, So this is... You know. It's like he would say, beside their names in the book of life, see page 459 of the book of deeds. And God will look at, uh, you know, these other... The open books of verse 12. And he will observe a life that is without sin. A life that is perfect in every way. And he will judge me and those of us here who have trusted in that one according to his life. And that is the life and the man, the perfect man, Jesus. So you see, as Christians, we have nothing to fear. Both now, 
despite all the chaos around us, we have nothing to fear. And we have nothing to fear at judgment. Because God's promised to us that he will judge our sin on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only man in that book of deeds that has a life acceptable to God. And and we are promised by God that by faith we can have that life counted to us. Simply we end up not being on our own before God at judgment. But rather in Christ. United to him. Clothed in his life. But how do we respond given that we have been given this lifeline? If we are Christians here today. Do we starve our relationship with God? Do we continue to ignore God or do we rely on our own abilities uh, to, to attempt to, kind of, to get any credit before God in anything that we do? If we understand, guys, the significance of our names being included in, in that book of life, then at judgment it should be clear, it will be clear, that we have given ourselves to serve and please God in everything. The one who has given us everything. Because we're safe. We are members of God's good eternal kingdom. If we're in that book of life, if we put our trust in Jesus, our sin has been judged on him. But how are we going to respond? Some of us who are Christians, I I guess we seemingly want all the benefits of being Christians, the eternal life, the the assurance in this life. But we basically walk around sticking two fingers up at God. If our names are in the book of life, that is, we are Christians, then we will know the assurance that God cannot erase our names from that book, but we'll also know the pain and the struggle that we face each day trying to offer our lives to God in gratitude, making him king of all of our decisions in life. And that is why Christians work so hard to live as God wants us to live. It's not because it's going to save us. It's not because it's going to get us in that book of life. But it's because we want to please the one who's got us in the book of life. Namely Christ. We want God to look at the book of, you know, the, the, the open books of verse 12. The, the book of deeds, if you like. And smile and take pleasure in reading what we have done in our lives. In gratitude for what he has done for us in Christ. See, as Christians, we, I suppose, again, this is me kind of... Uh, Work with me here, a bit poetic stuff, you know. But we want God to kind of get to chapter 8 of our lives and sort of go and, 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 li- and read of times when we struggled to share the gospel with our friends and, and the hope that we have in Jesus. And you can imagine him sort of getting to sort of chapter 9 and going, oh, angels, come around, have a look at what, you know, what's been going on here. Excited that we tried hard. Excited that we've looked for help in his word. Excited that we've depended on him as we've, we've prayed to him. Excited that we've persevered and kept going. Excited that we've been a good friend to the one who saved us, giving us his son. God takes such pleasure in watching his children live lives that give him praise. So everyone will be judged. And that's either according to your own deeds, you're on your own, or according to Christ. But finally, what does the judgment look like? Verse 14 and 15. I've not put it actually down on your, on your uh, things there, but... Um, Verse 14, uh, uh, the judgment. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The judgment itself is pretty clear. There are only two verdicts. Either you're in that book of life, judged according to 
um, and be judged according to sorry and judged according to uh, Jesus' perfect life, or your name is not in the book of life, and you'd be on your own, judged according to what you have done. But what about the sentence of judgment? Those that are not in this book of life who, who already died have already begun to suffer the torments of what we see here. That is being separated from all of God's goodness. In a place which verse 14 calls Hades. Death has taken them from God's goodness that all of us enjoy right now on this earth to some degree. And they suffer for a time in Hades. But when the final judgment comes, both death will end, but also Hades, that temporary place of judgment, will end. Those in Hades, those not in the book of life, will then find themselves outside of time, in eternity. And as we see in verse 14, in a lake of fire. So those not in the book of life will eternally perish. I, I don't like saying this. It, it doesn't comfortably you know, kind of come out. But we can't be deceived about the truth of hell. This lake of fire. See, there is nothing good away from God. And if your name is not in the book of life, then you will be judged according to your deeds. You will be found wanting. And then you will be thrown into this lake of fire. It's just a metaphor. It's a second death. It is painful judgment. But just Right judgment. It's not just a death as we know in this life, but a death that will last forever. Shut off from God's goodness. It is what we all deserve, and it's what some of, perhaps some of us here, and some of our friends have been asking for all our earthly lives. Thankfully, of course, the opposite is also true and possible. So if you need to hear the warning, hear it, please. Secondly, those in the book of life will be eternally saved, in verse 15. And to get our name in that book of life is not difficult. Some of you here, of course, are already in, and you will enjoy God's goodness forever. You've trusted in, in him, and in Jesus' life will be counted as yours. Some of you perhaps think you're in this book, uh, a book of life. Think that by you know, church attendance and Christian parents, who by nature being an upright citizen in Great Britain and not a looter and all those kind of things, you will be in the book of life. Well, do not be fooled. God tells us clearly that we need to personally come to him and make Jesus Lord of our lives and not listening to Satan and his ways. Looters and politicians, of course, need to hear that equally. But we need to be personally responsible for ourselves. Perhaps some of you are here just by chance because your friends are here. I want you to ask, just ask yourself seriously whether you're willing to risk an eternity in that image of a lake of fire, painful though that may be, for a few years of supposed freedom. Are you willing to ignore this book and are, will, are you willing to ignore the life, the life of the perfect man of Jesus Christ that can be counted to you so that you can be with him for eternity. He can get you into this book of life if you put your trust in him and what he's achieved on the cross. So are you in that book or are you not in that book of life? If Jesus returns to judge now, and he may, are you in it or are you not? Being in makes sense of life. It secures your future and eternity. Being out, well, read verse 15. Just look at it now. 
I don't need to read it, you can. The reason I keep telling my friends and people I meet about Jesus Christ, however difficult that may be, however I may lose friends, lose credibility, and get into difficult situations sometimes, I keep going because I know what I'm safe from. And as Christians here tonight, I hope you know what you're safe from. And I know what I'm safe for, and we'll look at that in two weeks' time. But I trust, as my friend said the other day to me, I also know what my brother is not safe from. And may that be a great spur to all of us when we look at this image of the lake of fire, which is an eternal punishment, rightly and justly. May that be a warning and may that be a motivation that we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Maybe just a moment to think about our own lives and how are we in the book of life, firstly. Secondly, do we know what we have been saved from? And if so, is that a motivation for us?